Hello, and welcome to another episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. I am Greg Accardo, and I am your host. I'm also the director of the LSU Professional Sales Institute. And as always, we're coming to you today from the E.J. Orso College of Business right here on the campus of LSU. Our guest today is going to be Eric Dunnigan. Eric is the president and co-founder of Arrive Logistics, one of the leading freight brokerage teams in the country. And they also happen to be one of the newest corporate partners to the LSU Professional Sales Institute. So today we're on as our guest on the Talking Sales podcast is Mr. Eric Dunnigan. So Eric is the co-founder and president of Arrive Logistics. Uh, their headquarters is in Austin, Texas. And he's on the program with us. Hey, Eric, welcome to the uh, the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. As I was saying, my, my first podcast. So uh, excited to be here. Well, great. Hey, welcome aboard. And hopefully uh, this is not your last podcast. So no, hopefully, we'll, hopefully not. We'll see how I do. Hopefully it's okay. not. Well, look, just get started as well. I was do. So tell us about yourself and 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 not only that, <laughs> you know, you know, the path that led you to where you are as the co-founder and president of Arrive Logistics. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at a high level, maybe some of your listeners are familiar with Arrive, but if they're not, we are a freight brokerage headquartered in Austin, Texas. I am not from Texas. I actually originally from the Midwest. So I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, um, you know, blue collar town in, in, in Ohio, Midwest and um, good upbringing, big family, um, worked from a young age, um, went to Miami of Ohio, which is just a liberal arts school, state school in Ohio and had a great College experience there was was pretty confident coming out of school and then quickly realized that graduating during 08, 09 into that job market was was a little bit different. And so um, one college summer, I spent working in a steel mill, one college summer interned uh, at a manufacturing company, and then one one summer I actually studied abroad. But as I entered the, the workforce, you know, looking around at companies in, in 2008, it would have been that fall. This is pre-LinkedIn, pre-Handshake, pre any of these platforms that you know students have access to today. I was really just big on getting into a sales role. Felt like that was the right first step for me, but really wanted to be in Chicago. Um, took a job at a public freight brokerage. Um, a good company. Was very excited. Kind of felt like the bigger the better. Um, great little office in Chicago. Uh, signed a lease. Was very excited. They actually went on a hiring freeze. So I had to kind of go back to square one. That was just kind of the climate at the time. Hopefully we don't get back to that with all the uncertainty in the world right now. But uh, at that time, that was just kind of what we were all dealing with. And then ended up in a much smaller firm uh, on the north side of Chicago. Um, at the time, quite honestly, took it as I needed a job. I had student debt and needed to do something. Um, it wasn't that I was necessarily attracted to freight brokerage, but uh, or the transportation space, but I, uh, I wasn't scared of it. You know, the blue collar aspect didn't, didn't scare me away. I felt comfortable. Um, and so I started in that role in 2009, you know, typical entry level salary, got through a little bit of training. Um, and as I've told people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm condensing many years here into a short answer, but sales for me was kind of the first thing I was really good at in my life. I wasn't ever the best athlete. Uh, probably could have applied myself maybe 
a little bit better in some of my classes and, and gotten better grades. But sales, you know, I certainly motivated to pay off the debt and do well. Um, and so that was good. I wasn't scared to work, but I was just, you know, that, that particular company, that role I was in, uh, it was a good fit for me. And so had success uh, in Chicago. Um, my co-founder had arrived, Matt Pyatt, our CEO, is a longtime friend, college buddy, Chicago roommate, Chicago coworker. Um, he's got a really interesting background as well, but he came up, we worked together. And, you know, as, as time kind of went on, at that time, especially the barriers to entry into our space were a little bit different. Um, we had some friends who were willing to put some capital up. We had a good understanding of our space. And, um, you know, at that point we were young when felt like it was the right time to take the risk, right? We were, uh, no kids, no mortgage, like, like the world is today for, for us. And, um, so we, we left that company in 2014, um, launched Arrive, um, very, very small team of 10, um, here in Austin, Texas, just had a little suite above a bar. Uh, which is I always joke with people, if you're ever going to open a business, don't, don't do it on the noisiest street in town, right? It's a very big distraction, but uh, survived that. And, you know, just to, to, to kind of make a long story short, hired a lot of great people, uh, built a really good sales model, built a good training model, uh, attracted the right people to create a good culture. And uh, the business has grown quite a bit. So today uh, our workforce is about 2000. If you include some outsourced folks, uh, some contractors, um, you know, we're a top 10 freight brokerage platform in the space. And we've been really fortunate over the last eight, nine years to, to build a great business. But it all, you know, I was just a small town kid. Certainly never thought I'd be where I am, but uh, grateful that I'm here. And, and listening to that story, it, it, it doesn't sound like you, you had ambitions to be in the freight business that you, you just kind of landed in it. Would that yeah, be I didn't you know my, my, my father was in wealth management. I don't know that 2008 was the right time to get into that space. A lot of times I think people, again, nowadays with LinkedIn and certain people have professional networks and again, they're like, maybe I had professors I could have leaned on more, but um, generally the way somebody got a job is they went to a career fair and you interview with five, 10, 15 companies and get a few offers and try to pick the right one. Um, I did that and I had a lot of interviews and uh, it was just a really uncertain time, right? Um, I don't know what the market was down in fall of oil, probably 30, 40%. I mean, and it didn't really stop. And so I, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily have ambitions for the freight space. Um, but I'm really glad I ended up at it. Obviously. Right. Well, I'm, I'm sure most of our audience is kind of somewhat familiar with the freight business and logistics, uh, but talk about arrive logistics and what it is that you and your team provide that helps your sure. customers to be better at what they do. Yeah. I'll just kind of walk you through an example of a transaction. So our customers that pay us are shippers, right? So a lot of enterprise, large companies, but a lot of small and medium sized companies that a lot of folks haven't heard of, excuse me. Um, these are people, Oh, well, I guess I'll, I'll back up. So those, that's who pays us, right? The shipper is our customer. Uh, we then turn around and we pay a trucking company to haul that freight. And so it's really a net revenue business for every dollar that comes in the door, you know, 88 cents or so goes right out the door to, to the truck. And then we obviously have a lot of people that facilitate that transaction and technology and other things. Um, what our customers, it depends, right? I mean, I think a large spotlight has been shined on the, the supply chain space over the last two years, but our shippers uh, in general, Kind of sit at an intersection of 
they manage a huge cost center for whatever company they're at, right? Sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars a year being spent on transportation. Um, and they're also at the intersection of a very critical customer service function, right? So they have to deliver product on time or move inventory where it needs to go and deliver to that retailer on time. But they need to do it at a, in a cost-effective way. And it sounds really easy, but there's a lot of factors that make it very challenging. So what we do, the business is a lot different today than when we started. Um, we've got a lot of scale, obviously. We've got a ton of relationships. We go after a certain type of trucking company that delivers a little bit of a different model with being able to drop equipment and things like that that the big shippers care about. Uh, we've got technology that, that drives a lot of productivity internally, right? And helps our cost per transaction down. I mean, I could go into all the weeds, but um, at the very, very core, there's a lot of companies that do what we do. They don't necessarily do it at the scale we do it at for the same type of customers we do it for. Um, there's about 15, 20,000 companies that do exactly what Arrive does. Uh, we're in the top 10, top 15. So um, I don't know, is that, the good, is that a good, good, good answer yeah, to your question? Yeah, and and, right. and I'm curious if if you had to pick one or two things that that makes arrive different, uh, what would you what would you label that? I think we understand our business really well, and I know that's a weird answer, but we understand the data and the metrics that matter of how we performance manage people, what we're paying attention to. Our customers, at the end of the day, they just want their product picked up and delivered on time. Right, they want data delivered in a certain way, and they want it at a good price. And I think we are all over that. It's not to say that other people aren't doing it too, but I think we do it in a way that delivers a really good experience to them. The technology we have—we're not the only ones. We're not the only company in our space that has great technology. Um, but I think the way we're thinking about it um, has worked really well. So I would say technology, the service offering, the service experience we deliver, our people. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's always the cliche answer: is our people, but. We definitely have a different atmosphere here. There are some folks that came from other companies and they always say like you guys, just the tenacity around this business, the LFG mindset is, is definitely different. So I think it's not one or two things. It's, it's you know, several things, but cool. obviously it's delivered a lot of growth and success the last eight years. Thanks for sharing that. And um, so it sounds like that, uh, you know, you, there's sort of a an, an ingredient that was built into the culture at your company and what we like to call sales culture. Can can you describe the sales culture at Arrive? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to one of our training classes earlier today, and um, I, it's easy for me to share this with them because it's true. Um, we're a performance management culture. I don't care what your background is, what your beliefs are. I want every person that walks in our doors to be successful, right? We're going to invest in everything we can that will prevent them from being successful, whether that's great leadership, good training, good technology, the right atmosphere, et cetera. Um, I don't control effort and attitude. Obviously, it's our job to recruit the right people and, and get the most out of them. And I think we do a, a pretty good job of that. But to me, um, we don't make widgets. We don't have a software platform that we're licensing. Our business is all about people. Uh, we have to have our people be successful in order to accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish. And so, yeah, for us, sales culture is everything. It's a winning culture. It's competitive culture. We're very transparent around, you know, who's closing what deals, et cetera, et cetera. So, but it's, you know, it's all the stuff that you may expect. Um, we call it a managed goal, but it's essentially a quota. People have clear expectations on where they need to be. Um, if they're behind or ahead, we really try to help them. You know, everyone's got their ups and downs. Sales is not always linear up and to the right. We spend a tremendous amount of time on training. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'd like, to, it's not a perfect model, but I'd like to think it's, it's, it's we've iterated a lot and I think it's, it's pretty well seasoned and, and proven at this point. 
would you say that, uh, you know, being in the top 10 in your industry is quite an accomplishment. Would you say that the, 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 the competition to be at that level was sort of the catalyst to develop that sales culture? Um, are you asking, did our competition drive us to build the business? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so did that, that level of competition kind of help be the catalyst to create that culture? Not necessarily. I think we, uh, aggressive is probably a word I'd use to describe certainly the early days of the company and in some ways still today. I like hiring 2000 people in, in eight years is, is definitely aggressive. And that was intentional, right? We, we, after that first year or so, we really believed in our model and wanted to build a big business. And so we didn't want to build a business that you're just hiring busloads of people and you have high turnover. And so, um, you know, retention really is important for us, especially for our, our not only the financial model of the business, but the environment and the culture of the company. So no, I, I wouldn't say, I would not say it was um, driven by our competition. I mean, we operate in two very competitive employment markets in Austin, Texas and Chicago. Um, and so, you know, there's just, uh, I don't know, I think a 21st century company is certainly you need to operate. We're in a very competitive space, uh, you know, relatively thin EBITDA margin. So how you execute and operate is critical. Um, and, you know, the people that are attracted to that environment, the that we have here, I think that they enjoy it, but no, it wasn't, wasn't driven by the competition as much. Sorry. If okay. That's... Yeah, not a problem. So what we shift a little bit? Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on technology and digital disruption and, and yeah. what it's done to your industry Sure. And, and maybe where you see the future. Good question. Um, you know, technology in the trucking space or the supply chain space, let's go pre pandemic, especially generally slow adoption. It's a massive market. You know, we play in, you know, generally the domestic truckload space, but there's many different modes of transportation. Just in general, the technology adoption has been very slow. Um, specific to freight brokerage, all, I guess I'll pick a few examples of how technology has changed the space. Visibility is, is key. Uh, I'd say over the last five to eight years, there's been some providers that have kind of come into the space and it's, it's been great. Um, great for the consumer, great for our customers' customers. It's kind of the expectations now that it's obvious, right? We want to know where the driver is. And there's a lot of good platforms out there that allow us to do that. From a pure freight brokerage aspect, if you think about our business, our OPEX is largely people, right? And like I said earlier, 88 cents or so of every dollar goes out the door. We're operating on relatively thin margins. Yeah, it's a high revenue space, but it's a low EBITDA business. So how we execute, what our cost per load is, what our productivity is, the cost structure of a freight brokerage, you really have to understand, especially at scale, you know, um, what's going on. So technology for us is really um, designed around three, three parties, right? Our customers, the shipper, our employees, and then the carrier. So I'll kind of hit on each one. Our customers, to be honest, um, people sometimes are surprised with this. What they really want from us from a technology perspective they want information, right? So they want to know where their freight is. Uh, there's a lot of new tools out there around pricing, right? So we can instantly price things and not rely always on, on the human, sometimes it's the machine. Um, but it's EDI, it's things like that. It's honestly really basic stuff. I'll come back to them in a second because ultimately we have to serve the customer. For the, for the people internally, it's all about productivity. How do we make their life better? How do we make their job better? Um, how do we match loads more quickly? Our people don't want to be, you know, calling drivers 50 times a day asking where they are. Like little tools like visibility is one example. Um, but it's productivity per employee. How do we operate at a lower cost per load and in turn deliver that savings to the customer? And then on the carrier side, 
most of the fleets we work with are owner operators. Uh, there are some companies out there that are designing technology really purely around the owner operator. Ours are more mid-sized fleets. Um, but it's a lot, how do we make their dispatch, the dispatcher's life easier? How do we give them access to our system so that they can enter the lanes they want and take the freight they want? Again, that turns around for our employees internally and drives productivity. So what you're seeing in our space is for technology to be effective, you need scale, right? So we've obviously built scale. We're continuing to build scale. You get a ton of leverage on the business through the technology. You deliver a better experience to the carrier. You have a happier employee that's more productive and they're able to have more success. In turn, you're able to pass it on to the customer. So there are always customer, or excuse me, there's always companies, I think, in a lot of spaces, certainly over the last handful of years that have been well-funded and hyped up and are great at marketing and pitch a big vision. And some of them are able to execute and a lot of them aren't. Um, that's never kind of been our mantra. Um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've done a good job with our tech, but um, and just in general, I think people with technology probably tend to overestimate the impact in the short term and underestimate, underestimate, excuse me, the impact in the long term. Um, but that's kind of what technology, how I think about it for arrive. You know, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I remember, I think it was Tesla was uh, kind of prototyping the the the, the fully automated uh, uh, truck that yeah. hit the highway and just be on its own that sure. the driver could just run nonstop. Uh, where, where do you see that technology in our future? That's a real thing. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. I'm not an expert on autonomous or, or EVs, but I'll kind of give my two cents of what, what I know about it. So don't, uh, don't take me as the industry expert, but I think number one, just electric vehicles in general, whether it's a car or a truck, I think there is, there are a lot of questions around scalability, right? There's shortage of the lithium and the different materials to make the batteries. And so there's different companies. There's a company here in Austin that's doing a hydrogen model. I mean, so there's definitely a big push to have more environmentally friendly trucks. I think that's great. Um, it's out there. It's not at scale. I'm not sure if it'll take years or decades, but it's definitely coming. Um, the general truck owner in our space, it's, it's a lot of small fleets, right? Where cost matters. I think you'll see the large shippers that have the capital and the climate pledges and things like that make the investment into those types of trucks. I don't know that you're going to see the smaller fleets do it until it's cost effective. On the autonomous side, it already exists, right? The technology is pretty awesome. I always tell our people when they're fooling around on YouTube, you just, just Google one of the videos. It's pretty neat what, what, what it's able to do. So the autonomous is already there. A lot of those companies are partnering with large manufacturers of trucks, and it's really an option to the carrier. Again, it's not at scale yet, um, but I think safety is paramount like the safer we can make these vehicles the better for everybody as far as driverless goes which i think sometimes people you know uh confuse autonomous with just the driverless it's going to take time right there's a lot of safety things that need to be worked out a lot of regulatory things that need to be worked out um the way we've heard it pitched the way we kind of think about it uh a lot of these corridors especially in rural areas we'll say we'll use maybe dallas to austin as an example down you know, I-35. I think this idea that you would drop a trailer, um, you know, at, at the at, at point A and then it gets picked up and brought to point B. So I think you'll see corridors like that. At least that's how it's being tested out. Um, you know, kind of how we think about autonomous being a large broker as we continue to scale. Um, there are very few shippers that are shipping billions and billions and billions of dollars here in freight. And that's ultimately where the big brokers are going. So I think there is a play way down the road. How do brokers start to integrate the autonomous technology into their networks? 
it hasn't been figured out yet, but it's something we're thinking about. We're having conversations about. I think it's really exciting. Uh, but it's definitely all those things are in the early innings, um, you know, in terms of adoption. But it's it's definitely happening. There's a lot of money behind it, and certainly there's a need. It's just a matter. Of- so that there could be a lot of change coming uh, in in the freight industry. I'd say over the next few decades, for sure. Yeah, in my lifetime, in our lifetime, for sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Well, let's shift back a little bit to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to dive in a little bit more about your career and, and get this focus back on sales. So if, if you had to say how much did the, the overall success of your career depend strictly on sales, what, what percentage of, of that would you say was attributed to your ability or just your, your drive to go out and sell? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot, a lot. Um, Certainly the early part of my career, 80, 90%, right? I mean, that was, that was how I was compensated. I was working on 100% commission. That was the type of company that I was working at. It was the role I was in. That was why Matt and I had the confidence. You know, he was doing well too to go to kind of start our own thing. Certainly now I'm in a sales role. I spend a lot of time with our salespeople, with our customers, but there's other, other projects we're tackling. Sales has been huge, you know, part of my career. Huge. And, um, you know, I guess that's transferred over to your company now. And uh, so if you had to say, you know, sales, if you ranked it in the order of importance at Arrive Logistics, where would you put it? We used to say we were a sales organization. Now I'd say we're very much, I mean, we have a lot of salespeople, right? And maybe let me back up. If you think about the org today, we'll round it and call it 2,000 people. About 200 of those folks are in technology, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they're not necessarily in sales in a sales type role. A uh, lot of, you know, accounting folks, finance folks, HR folks, not sure the exact number, but definitely a few hundred with that. We've got carrier sales folks that are really buyers, right. That are managing those trucking relationships. Uh, and then we've got folks that are what you think of as more traditional sales that are selling to shippers. And then we've got kind of some customer success folks um, that support all that. But uh, it's kind of, we talked earlier, I mean, a good portion, two thirds of our business at least are in a customer management or a relationship management type role. I think a lot of people think sales is, you know, sell me this pen. Do you want to buy this pen? And and for us, it's in our world, it's really more about it's recurring business, right? It's managing relationships, delivering on promises, understanding what the customer needs, what the carrier needs, et cetera. Um, sales is huge in our space. Um, well, so, you know, you, you brought up a really important topic and it's something that we've had a, a really important focus on at the LSU Professional Sales Institute is this new era of customer success management. Uh, the, it, this is a brand new concept. It hasn't been, it, it, it's been around for a while and it was kind of pioneered by Salesforce. Uh, it, it was kind of born out of need from the, the SaaS world where it was all subscription-based models. And, you know, you have some companies that were in this space and they would have for every four customers they brought in new customers, they would lose six. Okay. And they knew this wasn't sustainable. So they had to do something. And that was kind of the birth of this new world of customer success management, which really is a hybrid role of sales and account management. Okay. Right. And, and so for us at LSU, we're doing a lot of work in this space and research in addition to some of the teaching too. So to hear you say that, you know, 
your, your company devotes a lot of resources and time and people to customer success management is really new to our ears because we love to hear that. Yeah, I think in general, people have this cliche that sales is the person that closed the deal. Mm-hmm. We, we have a lot of those people, right? But our sale doesn't stop. It's not like we're selling capital equipment. And once I sell you this car, it's, I never talk to you again. Uh, we're talking to our people every single day at many levels of an organization. There's a lot of people, a huge team, mm-hmm. especially on these large enterprise accounts that are involved. And not every person on that team is the one that made the initial cold call, uh, but they all play an important role in managing that customer, growing that relationship, understanding what they need. So um, back to your original question, I mean, sales is, I don't know what percentage I would say in our business, but it's, it's, it's up there. I mean, it's huge. Well, what you just described is the classic case of the bow tie sales funnel. I've not heard of that. So the bow tie sales funnel, if, 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 you, if you can look at this, where you have like the, uh, a, a, a sideways funnel where you've got all your prospecting coming in and you've got this sales convergent activity where you're bringing in a large number of prospects and they go through your process and a small percentage of them become customers. Right. But then that funnel inverts and it goes in the opposite direction. Those customers come into the other side of the funnel where that's where that, that customer success management world exists, where right. you're nurturing those relationships for long-term growth. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of studies out there that show that, you know, acquiring new customers is more expensive than maintaining and managing your current customers. Um, if you're not constantly in contact with your current customers, helping them get the, the maximum utilization of your service or your product, uh, there is a possibility they could merge onto someone else. Sure. You're practicing successful, really, really great, really thorough customer success management. The research is already showing that they will a high probability remain a good, loyal customer for your company. Yeah. Our customer attention is extremely high. Matt would know the exact number, but it is in, you know, once we do a certain amount of business with a shipper, it's extremely sticky. Now, different fact you know, there's different strategies that a shipper could implement that can move business up and down or our pricing could change that can move business up and down and market conditions change but we, we're still doing business right it may not always be up and to the right um but yeah i mean trucking is a 24 7 industry it's a high touch high service high expectations high stakes business in a lot of ways and you know you can't just rely on and you know, oftentimes too the person that closed the deal may not be the best person their skill set may not be that person that has that you know, detail-oriented customer service mindset. Certainly they want it to succeed, but so we really just try to build a good team and a good process around um, you know, who needs to tackle what. And, and to your point, it's a, it's a, it's a large group effort. Yep. So in, in just in case the audience wasn't aware, this year Arrive Logistics became a, an official corporate partner of the LSU Professional Sales Institute. And where you guys are actually recruiting some of our top talent to come to Austin and join your team. Uh, so while we shift over to the student uh, uh, world here, and uh, let me hear from you and, 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 and let whatever, whoever students are listening to this, what's some of the advice that you would have for them? If yeah, well, first off, first off, in our program, what, you know, and, and they're considering maybe a career in professional sales, maybe even haven't thought about the logistics business and freight. So yeah. throw some advice at them. What would Eric tell them if, if these were your, your son or daughter, what would you give them? Advice? I just, you know, I talked to our interns. We hired, you know, a lot of interns that just started last week and I was talking to them yesterday. And 
But I told him, I said, listen, I don't know if you'll end up at Arrive next year or if you end up at a different company in sales or you maybe end up in something else. But I said, a, a, a sales acumen to some degree, having the ability to negotiate, to uh, deal with people, to close deal, uh, just, just having a business development um, skill set, I think will help you in any role you go into, right? And mm-hmm. Maybe you go to law school, you end up at a law firm, and eventually you want to make partner. Well, what do you think you're doing in that role? It doesn't say salesperson, but they're bringing in business, right? And they have to understand how to manage those clients. If you want to go work in public accounting, you know, you're going to be a CPA most likely, and you're going to work your way up, hopefully. And, you know, but once you make partner, you're really doing the same thing. So I think number one, and I think it's great that you guys have a sales program. We've talked um, to some of the other schools we recruit at. Some of them have sales programs. A lot of them don't. Um, I'd say my advice to students is, you know, understand uh, ultimately what you're interested in, but I think getting exposure to sales is is great and there's really no downside to it. As, as in terms of specific to arrive, you know, most of the kids, there was the kids, most of the people we hire come right out of college, right? Not all, but a lot of them do. And so maybe they've had an internship, maybe they've, you know, had a, had a side hustle in college where they have some sales experience, but for the most part, they have no trucking experience. They don't, and so training is key, right? And I think we do a really good job training and honing those skills. And, you know, we want to retain everybody forever, but we know that's not realistic. And I always tell them, you know, and I believe this, it's something that your experience here at Arrive will help you be successful wherever you end up, whether that's, we've had people go to not-for-profit, we've had people shift into different roles internally, we've had people, you name it, go into tech, et cetera. So I think we do a great job, especially for the employees starting their career. It's kind of who we cater to, especially at schools like LSU. Uh, really giving them an environment where they can be successful, training them in order to be successful. And there are other companies that do that as well, but um, that's kind of our model. But yeah, I think my advice would be get as much exposure to it as you can. I know some people are frightened by this idea of rejection and cold calls, and there's more to sales than that. Uh, but it's, it's you know, critically important and very, very valuable. What is your thought on internships? Uh, well, my thought is it's, it's a great... Um, you know, this was kind of our second year, I would say, doing it. We tried to do it three years ago, but with COVID, mm-hmm. the whole remote world wasn't exactly great for anybody. Um, prior to that, we did it in a small way. So uh, we're really optimistic about it. I mean, it's a great way for us to bring people into the business, show them arrive. I think when we say trucking and freight brokerage and this, people are like, well, that's, that's kind of boring. That doesn't know? sound sexy. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and But when you're at our office and you see it and, you you know, and you start to think, okay, everything, you know, the, the old joke of if you bought it, a truck brought it, it's trucking is a huge space, right? Yeah. And, you know, people have this perception where just, I think they come into our office like, wow, this is, this is a really fun environment. This is way different than I thought. So I think the value of, to, to us of the internship is one, we're bringing people into an organization that maybe they don't stay with us long-term for whatever reason, but they go back to their college campus and tell their friends, hey, you should look. So it's a great way to, you know, build that word of mouth about, about arriving and what we're doing. Obviously we want to convert a lot of these folks to, to long-term hires, mm-hmm. assuming that they're good fits. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. It's um, I think this year we have maybe 70 or 80 interns between Chicago and Austin. So we, wow. we, we made some pretty big bets. Hopefully. Well, 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 that's some great advice. And you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, there's never been a better time in my opinion, to be a, a business school major. Uh, you know, there's a lot of disruption, a lot of adversity going on in the world. We, we see it every day in the news. But if, if you're a business school major, 
the the innovations are off the chart because uh, adversity brings innovation and and new ways to do things. Uh, that that's kind of the flip side. That's the positive of all the bad things that happen. So I'll tell my students all the time, man, this is a great time to be in an academic environment, studying business, looking at what's changing the technology, because it's it's never going to be boring. <laughs> yeah. And, well, I, I was I was I can't remember what school I was at, but I was. And I was doing like uh, some coffee chats with, with groups of students after uh, speaking to the class. And I'm like, you got, and I, I didn't necessarily do a great job of this when I was in school, but there, I'm, I'm sure LSU does. This. There's always speakers coming in and mm-hmm. different executives from different industries and just show, I mean, a lot of times, right. Folks are getting extra credit or whatever they're required to go, but I think it's for their own benefit. You know, it goes to take 30, 45 minutes and go listen to that person who's talking about whatever business they're in. And it may be something you're not interested in, but kind of knowing what you like, what you don't like, just getting as much perspective as you can in those four years or however many years it takes somebody. I think it's so critical because I know for me coming out of a small town in Ohio, I knew who the big companies were, the brands I knew, but I didn't know. I certainly never would have expected to end up at a hundred person company in a suburb of Chicago working in freight brokers. I wouldn't have had any idea what that meant. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, nowadays schools are doing, I think, such a good job trying to get things in front of the students, mm-hmm. whether it's a sales club or the executives come in to speak or whatever it might be. Uh, just take advantage of those resources. They're, they're everywhere. It's an exciting time for students. So, well, Eric, look, it, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been very insightful. Uh, you got some really great uh, things going on in your world. Uh, hopefully, LSU can play a major part in the growth of your company. Uh, we can get some of our talent over there in Austin to join your team. But I think uh, there is some interest already. And you're already seeing that. So we've but, got some uh, great LSU folks here. They're, they're, yeah. uh, they're a fun group. Great. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we enjoyed having you on today's episode. And uh, hope to have you maybe again one day in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Talking Sales. Uh, the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. If you would like to find out how you can recruit some outstanding sales talent from the LSU Professional Sales Institute, uh, there's a couple of ways that you can reach out. So first, I would recommend that you visit our website. It is lsu.edu forward slash business forward slash PSI. Or you can email me at G-A-C-C-A-R-D-O at LSU.edu. And another great way to communicate with me and to get a hold of me um, is on my LinkedIn page. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find. It's Greg Accardo. Um, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, it's a really exciting time in sales, as we all know. Uh, virtual is is here to stay. Uh, Maybe it may get diminished a little, but uh, guess what? Uh, virtual is going to be part of our new normal. So and we're teaching our students currently how to maximize this virtual environment. So again, my name is Greg Accardo, and you can find me on LinkedIn or at gacardo at lsu.edu. Thank you.